This is Dr. Russell Blaylock, and you're listening to the Blaylock Health Channel. Hello, this is Dr. Russell Blaylock. I want to welcome you to this week's uh, podcast on uh, the Blaylock Health Channel. What we're going to talk about today is neurodegenerative diseases, just some updates and things you need to know, and particularly I'm relating it to this uh, attention on ALS, uh, which stands for myotrophic lateral uh, sclerosis, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, which has been popularized by this bucket challenge uh, that's uh, going on now where they pour a bucket of cold ice water over people's head and get them to contribute to the uh, ALS uh, charity. Uh, so far, they apparently collected about $47 million. I don't always agree with these crazy things they do to collect money. People should do it out of compassion without a gimmick, but they have collected $47 million. The problem that we often see with collecting large amounts of money uh, for charities that are directed toward medical conditions uh, is who gets the money. Uh, What we see most often is that the money goes to the big foundations. It goes to the centers that have the largest laboratories that are studying the conditions, which is not uh, saying that that's bad that they get them some money, but usually they get the big NIH grants and the other sources of federal funding, and they're not really in need of this uh, uh, type of uh, generosity. W- what we need to do is make sure that it gets to people who have innovative uh, new ideas that are not as well known in the ALS literature, but have some really uh, creative ideas. And it's kind of a case uh, study of such a thing. If we look back at the case of um, gastrointestinal ulceration, uh, for years and years, decades, all the attention was focused on research towards reducing the acidity of the stomach because it was assumed that ulcers were caused by excessive acidity. But then a lone researcher in Australia, Dr. Marshall, and uh, his partner, uh, who was a pathologist, We're working together on a totally different idea, and that is that uh, bacterial infection could be a leading cause of gastrointestinal ulceration, that is ulcers. But because he was not connected to a very large university and because he was not head of a department uh, of gastroenterology, uh, he was ignored. He was not invited to meetings. His papers were not always published. But to to make a uh, long story short, he ended up uh, being proven to have the best idea, and now it's uh, generally agreed that most cases of uh, gastrointestinal ulceration are caused by this bacteria, H. pylori. And he won the Nobel Prize, shared it with his uh, co-author. So we see sometimes people that are far less well-known, not connected with giant institutions, really have some of the best ideas. Now, let's look at uh, what's been discovered in the field, not just of ALS, but in other neurodegenerative diseases. Neurodegenerative diseases are chronic conditions in which certain sets of nerve cells and neurons in the brain begin to degenerate. Uh, This can be things like Alzheimer's disease or frontotemporal dementia-type diseases and Huntington's disease. Uh, so there's in uh, Parkinson's disease. So there's a lot of neurodegenerative diseases that are related to a similar type of mechanism. So I'm going to kind of include all of those in there. 
a genetic link has been found to influence each of these diseases. It does not cause the disease. But if we look at the genetics of, uh, for instance, ALS, we see that a, a large number of genes seem to be involved. And particular sets of genes seem to be most involved in about 40% of familial cases, that is, cases that run in families, and 20% of sporadic cases. So we see that genetics so far is not 100% for these familial inherited cases. About 60% of them, we, we really haven't tacked down a genetic identification. So other things are interacting with this genetic problem. Uh, to cause a disease. It's, it's not the disease by itself. We see that in a lot of conditions. Even though you inherit the weakness for the disease, you will not get it unless environmental conditions are just right. For instance, exposure to certain types of toxins in the atmosphere or poisons or dietary changes, etc. There's a common link between frontotemporal dementia and ALS. They both have what's called a, an accumulation of TDP-43, which accumulates in the nerve cells and seems to contribute to this problem. Uh, so we're starting to see that all of these different neurodegenerative diseases, there's some overlap. If you look at Alzheimer's disease, a certain percentage of them will develop ALS-like symptoms, and a certain percentage of people who have Parkinson's disease will go on to develop Alzheimer's-type dementia. And in some cases, we see, for instance, exposure to certain plant toxins. We'll see cases in which all three diseases are represented, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and ALS. So there's an overlap here. It's not, they're not pure conditions and completely separable. The most powerful link uh, or, or mechanism explaining uh, all of these diseases is what is called immunoexcitotoxicity. And that is an, an involvement of inflammation linked to a process in the brain called excitotoxicity. Now, excitotoxicity basically is, is there's too much or too much sensitivity to a neurotransmitter called glutamate. Uh, glutamate is an excitatory transmitter. It makes nerve cells fire very rapidly. And if they fire too long rapidly, they exhaust themselves and it can burn out the connections first, and then eventually the cell itself will die. And this is basically what we see in the pathology of all three of these conditions. And so we have a, a pretty strong evidence that immunoexcitotoxicity is a very central mechanism in this. We see accumulation of inflammatory cytokines and chemokines, which are inflammatory chemicals, in the spinal cord and in the parts of the brain that are, are affected in these three diseases. And this uh, inf inflammation is sort of a smoldering chronic inflammation. It's not an intense inflammation that you would see with things like encephalitis. And we see strong evidence also in, when we examine these cases uh, pathologically that excitotoxicity is a dominant process. Most neurological disorders are linked very powerfully to excitotoxicity. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at cases of ALS, particularly the sporadic cases, the ones that's not linked to a family history, uh, we see that there's a whole lot of things that seem to be associated with it that tend to increase your risk. For instance, certain viral infections of the, of the spinal cord that are chronic, uh, latent infections, tend to be associated with it. Uh, exposure to certain toxic metals like uh, mercury, aluminum, 
uh, or lead. People that have elevated levels of these metals tend to have a higher risk of ALS and uh, Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's. Uh, exposure to certain pesticides and herbicides. Uh, this is a very powerful link in all three of these diseases, that people who are around uh, pesticides, herbicides, or have difficulty detoxifying pesticides and herbicides tend to have a, a higher incidence of ALS, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's disease. Uh, people who are ex exposed to repeated trauma, like football players, uh, professional football players in particular, who have uh, thousands of minor concussions, tend to show changes in their brain that are reminiscent of all three of these diseases. And we see an increased uh, incidence of ALS, for instance, in uh, professional football players. And the evidence there is that this is a, a strong link. And we see the association of Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease with ALS, so this overlap I talked about. So we have a lot of different things that seem to be causing it, uh, or at least related to it, an increasing risk. Uh, but no one thing seems to be the one thing that causes Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's or ALS, and that's a mistake we often make. We, we, we tend to ask doctors or the medical profession or the scientists well, what causes it? So we're looking for one thing. In other words, is, is it aluminum? Is it viral infection? Well, it's multiple things, and we see that in many diseases. The common denominator of all of these different things is they all trigger immunoexcitative toxicity. And they do this by activating or priming microglia. Now, the microglia are the primary immune cell in the nervous system, in the brain and the spinal cord. Normally, these cells are rather quiescent. In other words, they're, they're quietly sitting there. They do repair jobs while they're in this quiescent phase, but they're easily activated and very rapidly activated. For instance, if you're exposed to a certain virus, a flu virus or measles, mumps, rubella, a cold, uh, even minor viral infections, these microglia rapidly activate in the brain, control the viral infection and uh, shut themselves down and go back into this quiescent phase. But if the virus infection is repeated or it's latent, that is, it's chronically in the brain, then it can keep these microglia uh, in an uh, activated or primed state. Now, what we mean by priming is that if you take a, an animal, for instance, and you uh, inject an inflammatory chemical uh, in their leg or arm, it will activate the uh, brain microglia slightly. We call that a priming. That is where the, the, all the chemistry that goes on in the cell to produce its reactions are revved up, but it doesn't actually release them. It still uh, controls the release of them. Then if there's another immune stimulation that follows that, or trauma or infection, that prime cell then overreacts. That is, it produces very high levels of inflammatory chemical release and very high levels of glutamate and excitotoxin release. So a primed microglia cell is uh, much more uh, deadly to these uh, neurons and brain cells. Now, what we've uh, come up with, or what the scientists have come up with based on this, is what we call the two-hit hypothesis. And that is something happens early in life to prime your microglia, and then they sit there for decades or a lifetime in this prime state. Then a second event happens, or a third, in which 
again you have this activation of these prime microglia, then you get an overreaction of this immunoexcitotoxicity and that causes the disease because it's ongoing. It happens for a long, long time, many years. And that's the two-hit hypothesis that, that you may have heard about. Now, just to give you an example, for instance, let's say you get a viral infection, a herpes-type infection, which infects the spinal cord and brain, and this becomes latent. That is, it's, it's quiescent for a long period of time. Then it'll activate, and it activates the microglia, and then it goes back into its quiescent phase. Well, this repeated activation, deactivation, produces a priming effect on those microglia, and that produces a chronic degeneration of the spinal cord neurons or the brain neurons. And uh, that seems to be what happens. Now, one of the things that the immune reaction does in the brain is it converts uh, a certain type of glutamate receptors. Now, glutamate is the most common neurotransmitter in the brain. It outnumbers all the rest of them. And it has a whole complex different types of uh, receptors that interact with that glutamate transmitter to uh, make the neurons fire in certain ways. Uh, one of these is called an AMPA-type receptor, glutamate receptor. And normally, uh, this is not what we call calcium permeable, and that keeps it from overreacting. But when the brain is inflamed, that AMPA receptor changes into what we call a GLU receptor 2 lacking AMPA receptor. Now that's one sensitive to calcium flowing into the neuron. And what that does is when calcium flows in, it triggers a bunch of destructive reactions and kills the, those neurons. And so basically what has happened is when you become inflamed, your glutamate receptors become hyperreactive uh, so that even normal levels of glutamate can become toxic. Now, another thing that happens when you become inflamed in your spinal cord or, or your brain is that the serotonin in there undergoes a metabolic change, shifting it toward production of a substance called quinolinic acid, which is also a quite powerful excitotoxin. So you have glutamate and quinolinic acid and aspartate. All of these excitotoxins are building up in the brain, slowly destroying the connections between these neurons and destroying uh, the neuron itself eventually. And that's what causes these disease. If it happens in certain groups of cells, you get Alzheimer's disease. If it happens in another group of cells, you get Parkinson's disease. And if it happens in a certain part of the brain and the spinal cord, you get ALS. Now, in the real-world situation, people are exposed to a lot of these risk factors at the same time. For instance, almost everyone's exposed to pesticides and herbicides. Uh, they're exposed to mercury, aluminum. Repeated vaccinations is another way to overstimulate your immune system. And most of them are exposed to viruses periodically or bacterial infections. So there's a lot of things in normal everyday life uh, that tend to accumulate and trigger uh, this microglial activation and immunoexcitotoxicity. Now, why some people develop it, not others, it depends on their defense systems. So if you have really good detoxification, you have a really good antioxidant uh, defense system and well-controlled excitatory neurotransmission in your nervous system, then even though you're exposed to these things, you're unlikely to get ALS, Parkinson's, or Alzheimer's disease. But if you have deficiencies in these, particularly if there's severe deficiencies in these protective mechanisms, then you're at very high risk. 
So that's that's kind of the link of, why, of explaining why some people are very susceptible, some are not, even though they're exposed to the same group of toxins or toxic substances. Now, under study, a number of natural products that seem to be able to alter this immunoexcitotoxicity mechanism. For instance, uh, curcumin and quercetin is under study now because it's a very powerful protective effect on the nervous system in these disorders. Another flavonoid substance called apigenin, uh, which is real high in celery and parsley, is very protective of these neurons against this immunoexcitotoxicity. Lutoilin, L-U-T-E-O-L-I-N, is a, another flavonoid that has a very interesting property in that it will convert these activated microglia back into the resting form, that is the form that's not destroying brain cells and brain cell connections. So that's very important. Magnesium tends to calm down excitotoxicity and reduces brain inflammation and spinal cord inflammation. And we know in cases of uh, the plant toxin that's related to ALS, all of the people who developed the ALS when exposed had very low magnesium levels. Uh, vitamin C and vitamin E in combination in a number of studies have been shown to slow the course of uh, ALS, for instance, and uh, also Parkinson's uh, disease as well. Uh, mixtures of vitamins and minerals, which makes up your antioxidant network and supplies the energy and, and repair mechanism support uh, in the nervous system is very important, particularly your B vitamins and vitamin E and vitamin C. Your minerals, uh, primarily important, are uh, magnesium, selenium, and uh, zinc. Uh, now, selenium and zinc have to be taken in only uh, physiological concentrations because higher concentrations are toxic to the nervous system. Vitamin B12 is very important for uh, repair and maintenance of nerve cells, and it directly blocks and reduces excitotoxicity. And, of course, avoiding inflammatory foods like uh, MSG, omega-6 fats, which would include your oils uh, such as corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, uh, soybean oil, peanut oil, and canola oil. You don't want to use them in salad dressings or cook in them. It makes them even worse. And a high sugar intake increases inflammation in the nervous system and increases excitotoxicity. Now, your excitotoxins in your food, there's a long list of them, things that can be disguised under the names like natural flavoring, hydrolyzed protein, soy protein extract, protein extract, protein isolates, uh, carrageenan. Uh, there's just a number of names for these disguised uh, excitatory food additives, and they're put in a lot of processed foods. Some foods have many forms of them added together, which makes it even more toxic. And the other thing is vaccines. We're, we're just over-vaccinating our population. We begin very early in life. Vaccination primes the brain's microglia, just like I talked about earlier. And if you give a subsequent vaccine, particularly close uh, uh, together, it produces change from priming to full activation, and that triggers the immunoexcitotoxicity process. The greatest risk, of course, would be doing these vaccinations later in life. Because if you're, for instance, exposed to pesticides, lead, mercury, aluminum early in life, and then you get the vaccination later in life, that's a two-hit process. Uh, so you're, 
you're stimulating primed microglia to produce intense immunoexcitotoxicity, which can lead to these disorders. So uh, I would recommend uh, you think twice before listening to this hype about getting vaccines for pneumonia and, and flu vaccines. All of these vaccines contain aluminum adjuvants, and that adds to the aluminum in the nervous system and, and can cause problems. So we need to be very cautious about uh, the vaccine hype and taking a, a lot of vaccines close together. Well, I hope you've uh, enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes of the Blaylock Health Channel, go to our website at www.blaylockhealthchannel.com. Thank you. The information contained within these programs is not intended to replace or contradict that of your physician. This information is for educational purposes only. 